Well, what I, what I want to do um, tonight, and, and we'll see, just kind of see how far we get, but uh, I want to look at uh, the last two weeks we've talked about kind of um, the, the, the testimony of the Old Testament, how it functions as a testimony, why types and shadows, how types and shadows work, and um, and questions, real, you know, kind of introductory um, uh, comments about how, you know, how the Bible is set up with the first and the second, and how the... Uh, the first is the the shadow, the promise, the prophecy. The second is the substance, the reality, the realization of all that God has promised beforehand, <clears throat> all that God has uh, spoken of through by by way of uh, prophets and pictures and uh, ceremonies and and all that, and all that comes to be realized in Christ. And uh, basically, what I want to do this week is. Talk about the the three major categories of types and shadows, or basically, maybe you could just say, look, I want to look at the the, the Old Testament kind of as a real uh, general survey, a real general overview, and how I how I've kind of come to see uh, the Old Testament pointing towards towards Christ, and specifically dealing with the cross. Um, as far as I'm concerned. There, there seem to be to me. I mean, I, I know there's probably different ways you could divide this up, and and I'm not saying this is the right way versus wrong ways or or whatever. But to me, uh, there seems to be three general groups <clears throat> of of uh, pictures or three like um, umbrella groups of of. Uh, Types and shadows in the Old Testament that point to God's eternal purpose in Christ and how that is brought about through the cross. All of them are tied directly to the cross, and it's really, it's really, uh, you know, once you start seeing it, it's really hard to miss. Um, I'm not saying you'll necessarily come up with the exact same three categories, but I, th- I think you, I think anyone that has a, a heart to to see the Lord in the Old Testament is going to come up with pictures of God's eternal purpose in, in Christ that all have to do with um, with the cross in one way or another. Um, and so to me, I'm going to put this diagram up here and I'm going to be kind of speaking from this diagram. I think this is it. Yeah, this is it. Okay. And what I'm, what I'm trying to demonstrate here with this diagram, and I'll put this online too for people that listen to this afterwards, but is, uh, if you can see the, the, there, there's circles and, and squares. The circles are, are represent, you know, the first, and the squares represent the second. And, and there's one big circle that kind of that kind of uh, <clears throat> incorporates all these other little types and shadows. And there's one bigger square that kind of is the is the fulfillment. But within the first, within the the, the one big uh, circle, there are three primary stories of the cross of the first and the second or the old and the new or the flesh and the spirit or death and resurrection or whatever however you want to describe it there's three primary um, pictures of this one big thing I don't know if that makes sense but when I look at this what I see is that 
every there, there was there was a blue circle which represents the the prophecy, the promise, the testimony, the types, the shadows. And there's the red square which represents Christ as the fulfillment of all things. But within, I'm just saying the same thing again, kind of a different way. But within that one larger testimony exists smaller pictures of the same thing. Okay, and so if you start with uh, the very beginning, you can see that there's, uh, on the far left there, there's the wrong man. I put, that's the way I, I, I labeled it, the wrong man, because the Bible starts, in my opinion, with pictures of, of the wrong man and what God needed to do to, to introduce the right man. And and that's that has to do with uh, with Noah and well Adam and Eve and Noah and the increase of, of Adam. I'll talk about that in a second, but just kind of give an overview overview of this diagram. Then after that, after Noah, it goes into this um, what what I would call I don't know, I, I called it here the wrong land or the wrong king. Um, I don't know. There's no great. There's no perfect word or, or, or words that I could have that I could come up with to really describe it. But I see it as kind of one main picture, and I'll describe that in a little bit. Um, having to do with the the wrong land or the wrong king. That is to say, a change in 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 place, a change in uh, a coming out from something, a coming into something, a coming out from one government or one kingdom, coming into another kingdom, another government. And um, underneath that I put, you know, Israel, Exodus, the new land. Oh, by, by the way, the first one I forgot to mention, um, the cross in the first picture, the, the major type and shadow of the cross that you see, although there are m multitudes of little ones, but the, the major big picture of the cross in the first section is the flood. And the flood is the way that God deals with the wrong man. The, the major picture of the cross in, uh, the, in the second category is the, is the Passover lamb, but not just that lamb, the, the subsequent exodus or the crossing of the Red Sea, the leaving of, of Egypt, uh, the coming into um, covenant with God, that, that division that happens there um, in... In the, in, the, in the Exodus. So the, there's a judgment that takes place, and there's lots of pictures of that judgment. There's lots of things involved in that judgment, and, um, <clears throat> and all of them kind of seem to me to have to do with bringing a people out and bringing a people in, out of one land, out of one government, out of, you know, out of death into life, out of you know, uh, uh, slavery, whatever. Th that seems to be the, the, the primary picture there. And then the third main category has to do with, and again, I, I kind of I struggle with words, with, with grabbing the you know a, a, a perfect couple words to describe this. But what you've got is the wrong Israel or the wrong wrong people in covenant. You could say a wrong covenant or wrong people in covenant. And, and then the, the main picture of the cross, and again, in all three of these, it's an incredible judgment that has life on the other side, okay? The life is always Christ on the other side, but then there's always a people that get to partake in that life. 
in, in, the, in the cross, I mean, in the, in the flood, there's life on the other side of the judgment uh, in Christ and in, in, in a collection of pictures there. In the Exodus, there's life that comes out of the door, that comes out of the blood-covered door, and that life is Christ. And, and we'll talk about that a ton in this class. Um, same thing with the, the great judgment that comes upon Israel and in the latter parts of your uh, Old Testament is all centered around um, the, the, the Babylonian captivity. And, and I have to include the Assyrian uh, destruction of the northern ten tribes. To me, I think spiritually, naturally speaking, those are two separate events separated by, I forget, like 75 years or something like that. But spiritually speaking, um, it's, it's all one big judgment. And, uh, and, <clears throat> and only the ones who submitted themselves to the judgment come back and are and, and then you see this picture of a, of a of a of a of a new Israel, a restored Israel, a new Jerusalem, a new city, a new temple. And this these words like redemption and resurrection start to come into place. So um, again I guess painting with real broad strokes, uh, I see the the first category has to do with the very beginning of uh, of creation till um, Noah and his and his seed after the after the flood the second um, has to do with um, well in the second part God introduces a new seed and starts to deal with that new seed because because in the first part he judges the wrong seed he puts it away and then he calls this one man Abraham to represent a new seed a different seed and he starts to deal with him, and, and, and I see, um, I guess you could say, I mean, these things aren't, they're not perfectly delineated, they overlap, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to try to make this into like a perfect, uh, um, I don't know, demarcation of the Bible or, or decoding of whatever, it's not how I see it, it's just general umbrella groups, you know, uh, that, that kind of things that I my heart seems to be dealt with by the Lord about this reality and this part of the Old Testament and this reality and this part of the Old Testament and what, what and so forth so I you could say the second one goes from Abraham to Solomon um, that's kind of how I see it I guess Abraham all the way through the um, the perfection of the kingdom <clears throat> As you see in Solomon, Solomon's reign, David, um, and and then Solomon. In some ways, in my heart, David and Solomon uh, are the same. They're two sides of the one, uh, two sides of one kingdom in one sense. Because David is the judgment. David is the man of bloodshed who doesn't build the house but prepares the house. He prepares the house for Solomon literally by preparing the stuff to build the house. But he prepares the house in a, in a more literal sense by bringing judgment to the entire land, removing all the enemies. So that Solomon's reign is a reign in resurrection and peace and wisdom without, without enemies. Um, and then, and then you could say that the the the, the last group or the last uh, picture there. Is a, is a picture that uh, has to do with 
from Solomon's time or from the the end of Solomon's reign, I guess you could say Rehoboam, um, Solomon's son, unto the restoration, which which takes place in Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, the restoration of Israel, Jerusalem, the temple after the Babylonian captivity. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. Uh, if you're not super familiar with with the Old Testament, um, this may help to kind of I don't know give a general outline of of you know what's going on, but also just to kind of have your heart looking for certain things while you're reading certain categories. And all three of these things, as probably goes without saying in this class, have their realization in Christ. Christ, as if you look over in the the square on the right side of the cross, it says Christ the second. And then he he obviously is the new man. He's the new land. He's the new king. He's the new Israel. He's the new covenant. And he's the substance of all of the newness of everything. Now, there's little red squares on the left side of the diagram because there's pictures of Christ's newness after every one of those judgments. There's a picture of a new man and a new covenant, you know, in Noah after the flood, a rainbow and coming out and all of that. There's a picture of a of a new land with a new king, um, you know, the end of Pharaoh's reign, the you know, then the coming out of that land into a new land with a new king. There's pictures of Christ, and and then in the in the Babylonian uh, captivity and restoration, there's a picture of a new city, a greater house, a house that has greater glory than the first house that was destroyed. But none of the red squares on the left side of the cross were actually the thing that God was was what that that, that were actually the thing that God had in mind from the beginning. What God had in mind from the beginning was the was the end, and He had the, the the end in mind from the beginning, and the beginning in mind from it's all the same thing. It's all Christ, Christ all and in all, and and so Christ becomes the true seed with the true increase and in the in the actual land that we come to live in and that has its increase, its crop, its fruit, its territory expanding, and Christ is the true Israel of God and the one new man in whom. Uh, that that God takes out of Egypt, Israel is my son, even my firstborn, you know, and and Jesus, uh, you know, comes out of the water, God says, this is my son, you know, here's the, here's the true Israel. Um, So, um, you're going to see these things bleed over, like I said, overlap into, you know, the first man, for instance, doesn't, you don't stop seeing the first man after the flood. You see him appear again and again um, throughout, in different pictures, uh, th- throughout the, the, the next category. And you don't stop seeing um, the pictures of the second category when you get to the third category. In fact, in some ways, it's almost like the detail. It gets more and more detailed uh, as you go throughout the Old Testament. But God is kind of like it seems to me like He's laying a foundation, focusing on a certain reality, kind of maybe like the order of our spiritual comprehension. The first thing you have to see in the light is is the otherness of Christ, the great 
the great judgment on the Adamic man, the failure of man to be and to live up to the expectation of God. You've got to face some of those verses, like Genesis 6-5, that every thought and intent of the, man of, uh, of, the, of the heart of man is only evil continually. That's what God said about the Adamic man. That, and you have to see him filling the earth with violence and rebellion. You have to see that, understand that that's what you are, naturally speaking. You've got to let the Lord deal with that. And when he does... And as he does, he can begin to build on, on that foundation a view of a different seed. And as you begin to see the difference between those two, the one, the old and the new, the dead and, and, and the living, the judged and, and, the, and the, you know, the new life that comes out of the ark, whatever, then he can start to show you a greater view of that same thing. A greater view, and that greater view has to do with an exodus. Has to do with coming out. Doesn't? It's not just the crucifixion of the Adamic man and the planting of, of or the giving of a new man. There's also an old government and a new government, an old place to live and a new place to live. There's there's covenants involved, and there's you know, and and he starts to enlarge upon it, and 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 so it gets more detailed. To me, it doesn't get more complicated. It just gets bigger. It's like, it's the same thing. It's not, it's never, I don't know how, I, I don't like the word complicated. Someone said that this morning at, at church and, 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 I, and I kind of, I just wanted to say no. I did say actually, no, I don't think, I don't think complicated is the word. Because when you're seeing it, it doesn't ever feel complicated. I, at least it, it never does to me. It never, seeing the Lord never feels complicated. It just feels huge. It just feels immense. It just feels bigger than I can I can bear to look at. I mean, it's like, it's, but it never feels like I have to remember all these little bits and pieces and parts. And if it does, I think that that's when we're trying to hold on to it with our natural mind or, or put pieces together with our brain. You know, it's, I mean, I, like, I always use an analogy like this, but like if you're looking at a, if you're looking at a rainbow and trying to describe it to a blind person, it might sound really complicated. Like, you know, he's like, wait a minute. Does the orange come after the yellow, or wait, wait, isn't there a purple in? Wait, what, what, what makes? Where is there? Is the rain behind you or in front? Where's the sun? I mean, it, the whole, the whole description of it, I suppose, could be quite complicated. But to just to sit there and look at it and see it and be amazed at it, it's not like you're looking at a jigsaw puzzle. You're just looking at something that's beautiful and amazing, and. Um, and that's how it feels for me when you see Christ. It's, it's not difficult, it's not complicated, but it's, it's huge. And so in order for God to, um, to, to, to bring out the hugeness of it, he builds upon his pictures. He lays a foundation and he builds upon it. And then it, it, it he never, um, It, it, uh, what, just, what just came to my mind, honestly, was uh, I, just because I've been reading, I guess, is the book of Revelation. And it's like, you know, you, you, you have these, like, you have like seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls and all that. But like the seventh, you get to the seventh one and then it opens up seven more. And they're not seven different things. They're like seven, they're, they're seven more views of the same thing you just saw. And then you get to the seventh one again and it opens up seven more. 
and again, it's not there's not 21 different things happening. There's just these seven views that just keep getting bigger and keep getting more descriptive. And it's it's not like seven different months or 21 different you know days or months or things that are separate. It's just a it's like Revelation is kind of like this ever increasing. Uh, ever-increasing heavenly view, um, the heavenly perspective that that just keeps unfolding and unfolding. And that's how I see these types and shadows too, in a very similar way that that, that, um, God presents um, the the things in the book of Revelation, an unfolding uh, celestial or heavenly perspective. And so... um, Okay, so where did I leave off here? Um, yeah, so you're going to see, you know, pictures of the of the you know the, the the earlier things bleeding into the second or reappearing in the second, then the second reappearing in the third, and you'll see them getting more and more specific. The biggest or the most full picture, I think, of um, what it means to relate to God in Christ is. Is in this corporate um, body, this corporate Israel that is uh, functioning according to the, the fullness of the priesthood and the fullness of the kingdom, and um, <clears throat> and, and and in that view of God's eternal purpose, I think you can see all of the other aspects uh, included, but. Um, all right. Well, I can't. I think I said this before, but in one of the first classes. But <clears throat> I'm almost positive I did. But just to say it, when 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 Paul talks about in, in Galatians chapter four that in the fullness of time Christ came, this diagram kind of to me paints a picture of that. God was filling up time with the testimony. He started in the very beginning. He just kept filling it up. He kept enlarging the view. He kept uh, deepening the, the the perspective, his perspective, offering just when you thought you got to the end of it, like just when you thought you got to the end of the seven seals or the seven bowls or whatever, the seventh one opens up seven more. And, and it just keeps going like that until natural time was filled up with an incredible testimony. When time had served its purpose in pointing to the the, the, the final red square here, then the red square came. And then time became irrelevant. And now nothing God does has anything to do with time. Um, time was part of the shadows. Time was part of the testimony. God's not relating to you in time. God doesn't care about next Wednesday. God's not waiting to do something till next year. There's nothing like that in Christ. He everything in Christ is now and the only it's an eternal now. It's the day of the Lord. That day needs to dawn in your heart, but that doesn't have to do with time either. That's not having to do with the passing of hours or minutes or years. It has to do with hearts that want to wake up from among the dead. And, and come alive and walk in the light. And so um, we have to understand that as, as Christians. I mean, this is a little bit of a side trail, but God is not dealing with Christians according to time. 
and and so much of modern Christianity is totally focused on time, um, about what God did or what He's about to do or what's coming or the what's about to be released or it's not God's timing yet for me. All of that stuff. If I can just be really dogmatic for a second, you can just flush all of that stuff because it's not true. In Christ, the only thing that prevents us from walking in the fullness of the day of the Lord is the measure to which that day has dawned in our hearts, not the measure of any amount of time. The ticking of a clock, the passing of natural days, has nothing to do with walking in the fullness of what God has given us now in Christ. And so that's why you see throughout the New Testament, you talk, it talks about the day dawning and the day approaching. Well, it's an internal reality, and in some places you can see that really clearly. Um, Alright, well, let me, uh, let me see here. Let me just say a little bit more specifics about the three categories here. Um, um, starting with the first one, like I said... The first one focuses on the wrong, the wrong kind, okay, Adam. And in this first picture, God gives us his view of, of a problem. The problem isn't that man fell, although man did fall. The problem is that man is the wrong seed and God had something else in mind. The purpose for the Adamic creation the Adamic man, the Garden of Eden. That what see in the in the church today. Um, one of the I think one of the most common and and, and most uh, wrong things that you hear very often, or I, I read it in books all the time, is that God created the Garden of Eden, which was His ideal, uh, you know, plan, and then we fell, and then God is restoring us to that to that you know garden or that that kind of thing and that's just so incredibly wrong the garden of eden was never uh god's eternal purpose it was a picture of god's it was just like everything else in the first man walking with god was in in a garden a natural paradise with big fruits and you know whatever and the lack of shame and and uh being uh, being uh in the presence of God, without judgment, without shame. All of that was a natural picture of a spiritual reality. God never wanted the natural picture as the, as the full... The natural picture served the purpose, was created to point to the spiritual reality. And man screwed up that image. Man screwed up that testimony. That's what we fell from. We fell from glory. We fell from... What I mean by glory is... Falling from glory means that the, the picture no longer represented... The substance, it never pointed, it stopped pointing to it, it stopped reflecting it. Uh, suddenly there was a shadow that didn't line up with the thing it was, was reflecting, or the thing that was casting the shadow. And, um, and, and, and so, you see both of these things in the garden. You see a natural thing that needs to be swallowed up by a spiritual thing, and you also see the fact that the natural thing fell from glory, and, and needs to be put away, both both uh, put away, uh, how would you say it? Let, let me just give you a little bit, of a, a short analogy. I, I just, uh, I just, uh, I told someone recently in a recording, but uh, I don't 
think it was anyone that was that's online tonight. It's like it's like um, I mean we have to. What I'm trying to point out here is that the cross that that the garden even before sin the garden wasn't what god wanted it was just a picture of it and whether or not sin ever entered the picture god still in some way or another was going to put away the first and establish the second it's like if okay my analogy is this there's an arm, there's a guy in the army maybe it's ryan okay and uh, and he he's he's gone for like a year and and, and he misses his wife he misses D and uh, and he's he's not allowed to talk to her or anything and, and but one day like after being there for six months he gets this picture of of D in the mail and it's so good to see her face in the picture and and it's it's a great picture of her looks just like her you know just as he remembered whatever and he likes to stare at the picture of D and he just kind of. You know, when he's not when he's not busy, he's just pulling the picture out of his pocket and looking at it, whatever. Now, Ryan wants Ryan likes the picture because there's only one reason he likes the picture, because it points to the person. And what he wants eventually is to put away the picture and embrace the person. That's what he wants. And and yet for the time being, the picture is a good picture. And uh and it uh and it serves the purpose of of, of pointing to and, and and reflecting and expressing the thing that was uh, that he was waiting to, to to come, the actual substance, the actual person. Well, you know, one night Ryan goes to sleep, and uh, and you know, little Joey, uh, the the prankster in the platoon or whatever. He comes and he sneaks over to Ryan's bed and uh, takes his little permanent marker and he draws a mustache and a beard on Dee's picture and some some googly eyes and some horns or something and he just messes up the picture. Ryan wakes up in the morning and obviously uh, doesn't like little Joey the Pranksters or whatever his name was uh, thing because because now. The, the testimony of D no longer points to the reality. It doesn't look like her anymore. It no longer bears her image. It no longer reflects the reality. And that's a bummer because he liked having the picture of her. He liked having, in a sense, her glory isn't like a word we use usually to talk about people, but he likes having her image or her... Her, her, her person being reflected right there in that picture, and now it's ruined. Now it looks nothing like her. Now it looks like, I don't know, Groucho Marx or something. And, 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 and that's a bummer. But he, he, it doesn't change the fact that he wants to put away the picture. Whether the picture looks like her or not, he wants to put it away, and he wants to replace the picture with the person. And, and and so, even if the picture never had a mustache and a beard and googly eyes, Ryan was still longing for the time when he could put away the picture and embrace the person. And that's how it is with creation too. God, God, and Adam was the wrong man. Here's what I'm trying to say. Even before the fall, Adam wasn't the man that filled God's heart and filled God's perspective from before creation. God was going to put away the first and establish the second, even if Satan didn't come and draw 
a mustache and a beard on Eve. I mean, just to, to, <laughs> see what I'm saying? I mean, sin entered the picture and sin messed up the testimony, but sin didn't change the fact that God wanted the substance. He wanted the actual reality. And so you have, we have these thousands of years where man is filling the earth with sin and filling the earth with his own image. And, and yet, there was still going to be, and don't ask me exactly what it was going to look like, because I don't know, because those are hypothetical questions that I don't really think make much sense in, in, in the light. But even if the testimony didn't get screwed up, God's plan involved putting away the first and establishing the second. So anyway, getting back to, that's kind of a long rabbit trail, but I'm trying to point out that what you see in this first picture is the wrong man. And he was the wrong man even before the fall. He was a picture of the right man in a lot of ways. You know, he was he was the, the, the Lord over a creation. He was supposed to increase and fill the creation with his kind. In these ways, he was a picture of Christ. Uh, out from his side, out from his life came his partner. I mean, there's lots of pictures right there, even before sin entered the picture, that point to the right man, and yet Adam was never... Uh, the man that God knew from the beginning, the, the one that God really wanted to say, it is not good for you to be alone. He really wanted to say that to his son, which he did say to his son, John chapter 12, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There's an increase. And, uh, and so uh, sin enters the picture and, and then you then it it just magnifies. I mean, not only do you have a, a picture instead of a person, and now you have a picture with a mustache and a beard and some pretty nasty horns on it. And uh, you know what? I have this picture here. Let me put it up. I'm going to close this one down. This is something I made. It's kind of goofy, but what you can see is like uh the, the guy is sitting there, and he's looking at his shadow, and his shadow no longer looks anything like him. So it's kind of freaky. He's got this ugly shadow that's supposed to perfectly align to the boundaries of his being, his body. And now it's this creepy thing that's like, I don't know, freaking him out. And in a lot of ways, that is exactly what happened with the fall of man. The, the, the natural creation became a shadow that no longer represented the person it was supposed to be reflecting or expressing. And, uh, and, and, and man, that, that, that's kind of, I, when I made that, 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 this picture that one day, I remember looking at it and just thinking, man, that must have been, that's how God really saw it. All of a sudden, this reflection of Jesus Christ turned into this monster, turned into this beast. And again, my mind goes to uh, Revelation when God describes things that are contrary to his nature, his glory as beasts, as dragons, as whatever. Because that's, that's just kind of the, the heavenly perspective of that which falls short of his glory. Well, um, so that's what happened to the natural creation. And... <clears throat> God begins to show that seed for what it is, and he begins to describe it in some of these these awful, you know, awful but true descriptions of the natural man that you see in Genesis 6 and Genesis uh, 9. And um, even after the flood, he says to, Mo, uh, to Noah, man's heart is evil from his youth or from his infancy. And, uh, and, and, you know, some of those pictures, and then, and then, 
you, you understand something of what Jesus means when he talks, he comes and he talks to, uh, to, to, to us about being sons of the devil and, 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 uh, how Satan was a murderer from the beginning. That is to say, when it says he's a murderer, it means he's he's taking life. He's been he's been trying to rob life from the beginning. It doesn't just mean he's been killing people, although that that had its expression that has its expression in man as well. But the you know the, that's what you know what he did at the at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He murdered. It's what he did. I mean, he took he took life away. He took at least the opportunity for life away. He's been he's been. Um, I like that, that description of Jesus in John. It's John eight forty four. I like that description of, of Satan. He says he's a he's a li- he's two things. He's a murderer and a liar. He's the opposite of life and he's the opposite of truth. He takes life and he takes truth. If you let him, if you live in his kingdom by his by his uh, by his seed or by his nature, which is the nature of sin, it's a it's a, it's has to do with murder and and lies, and uh, and. Anyway, so the picture that then comes out of, of that story is that God is going to destroy everything that fell short of the glory of God, okay? And he's going to restore the purpose, of, but in a new creation. And that's exactly what you see in the, in, in the ark. And, and you'll notice that he says, I will destroy man together with this creation, with the earth. Okay? I will destroy man together with the earth. Why? Because what was the earth? In fact, what was the earth created to be? The earth was a creation created to become the, the increase and the expression of a man. And so that's exactly what it was. The earth was filled as it says, with violence. The earth was filled with bloodshed. The earth was filled with Adam. Adam had sons and daughters, Genesis 5-2, according to his own image and his own likeness, and the earth filled up with that seed. And, uh, And so suddenly, you have a creation. Well, I guess it took, you know, who knows how many years, but what you have is a creation that is the increase of a kind. And so God destroys them both. That's why the, the flood, he didn't just like send out a bunch of like bees to sting everybody. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think of something else that could have killed everybody in the earth or uh, some kind of, I don't know. He killed, the, the, the flood wiped away the whole earth is my point. It killed the plants, it killed the animals, it killed the, you know, the bugs. It just killed stuff. And and because, because it, the picture was some kind of a judgment that was going to wipe out this man and this expression, and it was going to replace it um, with a new creation. So the cross comes in as this answer, not just to man's sins, but to man. All right, not just to and not just to, to man, but to to this whole world of his increase, a world that was ruined by. Not by by both being less than Christ and by being filled with an image of a fallen man, and so that realm was wiped away, and that's what you see going back to the. If you can picture the first diagram back in your mind again, so you have a little a little uh, red circle, and then you have a little blue blue square on the other side of the first picture there. The first blue square is uh, is an arc being raised up and seated high in the heavens on top of the mountain of God, out from which comes a new creation. 
uh, and there's the smell that goes up to God of a burnt offering, which speaks of uh, judgment having come, a total destruction of the animal, the burnt offering, nothing was kept, nothing was eaten, nothing was separated. You just chuck the thing on the altar and let the sucker burn. It's a judgment. And the, and the smell goes up to God's nostrils and he smells it and he says, condemnation is over, judgment is over, never again shall I strike. I mean, there is now no condemnation. For those who live under this this covenant, this ark, and uh, and I no longer relate to you according to the flesh. And then you see that really cool picture of even Noah, who then does something in the flesh immediately after, is covered up and, and, and his sons will not relate to him according to the flesh. God is not relating to him according to his nakedness. And that's just a picture of that covenant right there. Okay, So there's this new thing that comes out of the, the destruction of the old. And, and that's kind of the basic, we're going to get into the, the details of that in coming weeks. Um, but that's kind of the general overview of that first section. The next section begins, and and God begins. So, so He's put away one seed, and He's brought this judgment, and now God begins to kind of build on that and show us pictures of a new seed and a new increase. And and you, you first start to see that with just Abraham and Abraham's uh, um, uh, seed with with Ishmael and and Isaac. And you see that he's told to get out, to leave somewhere, to leave something behind. It's not now. It's not just now. Now it's not just death. It's actually there's a new seed leaving somewhere, leaving behind his country, kindred, and father's house, and going in. There's a new land. There's a new place to live. There's a new inheritance, a new God that his people had never known. So, so this new seed leaves the old and comes into something uh, uh, new, and and. Um, and that's you see that kind of in in uh, hey, there's other pictures too like um, you see this I'm just looking at my notes here kind of getting ahead of myself but uh, there, there, God shows pictures of how this the increase is according to faith and not according to works it's according to promise it's not according to flesh there is a wrong seed. Um, a wrong kind that you can try to mix with the right kind that you see in Ishmael uh, and you see it in Esau, you see it in in two different, like the natural seed, the spiritual seed. Um, you see that uh, that the true seed is something that God brings about. Ishmael is excluded. Um, yeah, let's see here. Just kind of zipping through here, seeing what I've said and what I haven't. Um, yeah, I mean, there's an inheritance bound up with this increase, this new seed. Oh, there's lots of these. We're going to get into all these individual pictures, but there's words like inheritance and increase, and and the increase is going to be like the the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. Um, but but what you see in in Abraham, kind of as a microcosm. Is, is a lot like what you see in the corporate Abraham, so to speak, Israel, in the Exodus. Because it's kind of just a greater view of the story that we saw in Abraham. We, now, we see the same cha- change from the wrong land to the right land, or the hostile territory, the wrong God, the wrong you know slavery, to the wrong leader, to the wrong Lord. 
and you see them coming out of uh, of Egypt in a similar way that Abraham came out of his his land. Except now God begins to add more details. There's a there's a slavery involved. You know, there, there's a, there's a picture in Egypt of our natural condition of sin and death. There's a um, and now the change of seed. He brings in the picture of the lamb and the death of the lamb. And there's and and suddenly just as soon as they come out the morning of uh, after the Passover, there's a new creation. There's a new lump. There's a there's there's leaven. I mean, there's there's a a, a bread. They're they're coming out carrying bread without leaven, which is totally ridiculous if you think about it from a natural picture. I mean, who walks out of another country with with a big ball of bread on their shoulder, unless God's painting a picture of a completely transformed being. Leaven is no leaven is being left behind in Egypt. And they're walking out as these new as this new loaf, as this new body, completely free from leaven, leaving everything behind of the old nature and the old land, leaving slavery and death behind. And then you also see pictures of how they, they keep it in their heart. That's another picture. But uh they come out and very much, remember, Abraham comes into the new land and God says, lift up your eyes and look to the north, to the south and whatever. And, and Abraham has to be shown this new land. Well, they come out of Egypt and God begins to show them the covenant. He begins to teach it to them through miracles and, and through water coming out of rocks and bread coming out of the heaven. And, and then the tabernacle and the priesthood and all of that is just one big, let me show you where you are. That's what the whole thing is right there. Abraham, lift up your eyes. Israel, lift up your eyes. Look at the bronze serpent. It's me. Look at the water coming out of the rock. It's me. Look at the high priest. It's me. Look at the veil. It's me. Look at the ark. That's me too. I'm going to teach you where you are. I'm going to teach you the covenant. I have, I have as he says in Exodus 19, 4 through 6, he says, I have, I have raised you up on eagle's wings and I have brought you into myself. And now let me show you where you are. Let me show you what I've done. And so the, the point of this whole second picture is coming out of one seed, coming out of one land, coming out of one government. And, and the cross, again, is the focal point of that whole picture. The cross is how God makes the exodus possible. It's how the people experience leaving and entering. You have the... You have uh, now, and we'll get into this too. This is really cool. But you have you have kind of you have in this picture, God paints picture a specific picture of the objective work of the cross and the personal internal subjective work of the cross. Because you've got the Red Sea and you've got the Jordan River, the Red Sea or the, the blood of the Lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea. That's where God literally permanently finishes his work, divides Israel from Egypt, says the Israelite or the Egyptians that you see today you will never see again forever. Boom, it's over. And yet until that crossing becomes a reality in their heart at the Jordan, they're still living in slavery to Pharaoh. They're still living in slavery to the desires of Egypt. And so you have the objective work and you have the subjective work that happens in their hearts by faith. Or you have the, the objective work in the blood of the Lamb, and then you have the subjective experience in the blood of circumcision, which again happens at the Jordan. So um, 
those are things we'll get into. But the whole point is there that, the, the, that there's a focus on the cross uh, in, in this category. There, there's, there's the leaving of one, the coming into another, out of one slavery, into a new government. There's a new place to live, a new law to, to learn. The law of Christ, which is what the law of Moses was, just a picture of Christ in all of its multifaceted ways and forms. And, uh, and, and, and yet there's this awesome picture of this will not, it's that God puts this huge uh, picture right in the middle of that category that says none of this will be real to you unless by faith you cross over this river, unless by faith you participate in circumcision, unless faith makes it real in your soul. And and so that that's a that's the category. The last category, try to squeeze this in here, is this is this corporate son, this corporate Israel. This one has gotten to be uh, over the last few years just really precious to my heart. And again, one bleeds over into the other, and I can see this all in a few different ways. Whatever, don't again. I'm not trying to nail this down to science here. It's just just what I'm trying to describe. But <clears throat> you have. After Solomon, Israel is a mess. They divide into two groups. Those two groups come to kind of represent, I think, in the prophets, uh, Jew and Gentile, although they're both, you know, people that God is dealing with. Israel, the northern ten tribes, Judah, the southern two, two tribes, consisting of Judah and Benjamin. And, 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 and all these pictures of them falling short of their covenant, falling short of having a king that's, that's, that was after the heart of David, you know. All these kingdoms are being compared to David. They're all falling short. And, or, or they're temporary, or they're, there's mixture, there's high places involved. Um, they're not keeping the covenant. In fact, they can't keep the covenant. And, and so you have a picture of, 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 a, of, a, of a wrong covenant. A covenant, or put it this way. A good covenant, but that's written in the wrong place. This covenant's written on tablets of stone. They need a covenant written written on tablets of the human heart. Um, and and the prophets start to to speak. And this is the era of the prophets. Okay, during the kings, the prophets start coming out, and they start. What do they do? What's what are the prophets all about? They're just constantly dealing with Israel's failure, uncircumcised hearts bloody hands, sinful hearts, something has to change. God's bringing judgment. Okay, so here comes this other view of the cross. We have a failing corporate son. We have a failing Israel. They're not keeping the covenant. They're not staying within the boundaries of the law. They're not manifesting God's glory in the land. They're not even take, keeping possession of the land. They're divided. They're, 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 there's no peace. All the pictures that God established in, in David and Solomon are gone. And... The, 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 the prophets are just doing two things more than anything else throughout all the prophets, the major prophets. They are describing Israel's failure and they are promising a judgment followed by a restoration. Okay, That is the theme of the major prophets. Failure of Israel, coming judgment, followed by a restoration, three words really, restoration, redemption, and resurrection. The language is resurrection. Ezekiel's dry bones, they're going to come alive from the dead. Isaiah speaks of coming out from the dead in Babylon and returning to the land. There's, there's, there's these three realities. And so the cross comes into view again, and this time the cross, the great judgment, is 
the Babylonian, well, the, the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities. First, the Assyrian uh, happens, and it just wipes out the northern ten tribes. And regardless of what anyone says, they're not out there somewhere hidden waiting to come back. I mean, that's just so goofy. People actually believe that. But um, they've been gone for like uh, 2,500 to 2,800 years. I mean, they're not around anymore. And uh, they were assimilated into the Borg. They were, uh, they were, they were, <laughs> for those people that have ever watched Star Trek, um, they were they were assimilated into the nations. They 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 became one with the Assyrians. They, they become and and then and and, and and well, I won't get into that. So, uh, and then the Babylonians come a little bit later, and they they take down Judah and God. In every one of these pictures, there's a way to submit to the judgment and find life on the other side. In the in the in the ark, he could go into the ark with his family by faith. And find life on the other side in Christ. In the the uh, Exodus, they could go in. They could paint the blood on the, on their door. Go in and eat the dead lamb. They could they could agree with the judgment. They could they could participate. They could excuse me eat the judgment. They could eat the judgment and then come out with life in the morning. In this judgment, they could they could bow before Nebuchadnezzar, submit to his judgments. It says, "Put your neck or bow your head below the sword of Nebuchadnezzar." And, and I will bring you back into this land. So most of them rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and are killed. But a remnant, as it calls it, the holy seed, the holy stump, is buried in Babylon for 70 years. And, uh, and, and, and so some, some die in rebellion. Some are, some are buried in, in, in Babylon and then they come to life. And they come back. There's the picture here. Now, then you have this. So you have this huge corporate judgment, and then you have this huge corporate restoration, resurrection, redemption, and out from this judgment of Babylon comes these awesome books of the Old Testament that have to do with the the the, the third blue square in that first diagram. Um, that is the restoration of of the true a picture of the restoration of the true Israel, the true sons, um, the true covenant, and that's what Zechariah deals with. Haggai, Nehemiah, uh, and uh, Ezra they 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 deal with the the new Jerusalem, the new house. This is what I've been teaching about the last two years, actually, in the spring conferences. Just uh, 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 by by luck, I've kind of I mean whatever chance I've been uh, talking about the restoration scriptures prophecies about the the new house, the building of the new temple, uh, the fact that it is built by grace, the fact that it is built by not my spirit, not not or I'm sorry, not my spirit, not by force, not what is it? I'm thinking in Spanish, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And uh, anyway, all that comes out. And so you have Ezekiel's spiritual house. You have Zerubbabel's uh, spiritual house with Christ as the foundation and the capstone. You have the house that is built by the branch of the Lord. That, that is the one who uh, um, bears the, builds the house and bears the glory. All of that is part of this third picture. Okay? 
and I'm going to be I'm going to stop with that. But just to, just to say again, it seems to me like when I when I read the Bible, I just go through the Old Testament and go through it again. It seems to me to kind of fit um, that these three categories are the main three categories that point to all of which point to what point to another great judgment of another great i mean of the adamic man a burial and a resurrection restoration and redemption that is purely spiritual is in christ and in is christ being made unto you all things so let me stop the uh, recording and we can do um, questions or comments or anything as usual